It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. Before we dive in, I want to answer a canna curious question that's been sitting in my inbox feeling neglected. Byron emailed asking for clarification on the practical meaning of microdosing. Now, Byron, the overall intention is to designate the smallest dose to achieve your optimum results. This amount will vary person to person since we're all precious snowflakes. If you're smoking, that might look like a couple of puffs off of a pipe or vape pen versus the usual giant bong rip you might be taking. And if you have been taking giant bong rips or dabs for years, then you'll need to reset your endocannabinoid system to find your optimum dosage by incorporating CBD into your diet and cutting out cannabis for a few days to a few weeks, whatever feels right for you. Microdosing edibles or tinctures or sublinguals, that will range from 2.5 to 10 milligrams of the cannabinoids. As we like to say in the biz, when it comes to THC, you can always take more, but you can't take less. Use these data points as a guide and experiment until you find what feels good for you. Speaking of data, today's guest on the podcast uses state-of-the-art data science and machine learning to advance the cannabis industry. In particular, he's done extensive work in understanding what makes cannabis strains different from each other, how cannabis chemistry relates to experience, and how the cannabis market is structured economically. Amos Elberg uses data inputs to expose insights that accelerate business, 
high-profile data products, and thought leadership. Most recently, he created Connect. Connect is the 3D visualization of thousands of cannabis strains in terms of their chemical similarities and economic relationships. Amos approached me with this information at the Love Mary Jane's coming out party, and I was curious if he might be able to help us make better decisions when choosing our cannabis strains. So settle in, get casually baked, and listen to us get nerdy on pot. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. My guest on today's show is a leading cannabis data scientist. He has spent the last year researching what makes cannabis strains different. And how do those chemistries affect your experience? Amos Elberg, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me what kind of got you into the business of cannabis data science? Well, I was doing data science for quite a while uh, and they called me up. And I, you know, I, when people ask me this question, I usually tell the old Woody Allen joke. Uh, they called me up and said they wanted me to do this. And I said, well, I wouldn't do it. I don't believe in it. I, even if I did believe in it, I wouldn't do, do it for your company. And then they told me what it, they were offering. And I said, hold on, I'll put Mr. Elberg on the phone. <laughs> uh, but in truth, uh, they called me up and said uh, what it was. And I thought, here's actually something that's very interesting. Here's a problem that's a practical real world problem that people really do need solved. And there were a couple of things about it that were really interesting. Some of them that, are, that I think your audience is going to find interesting. Some of them uh, your audience probably won't, so I'll, I'll skip over those. Um, the part of it that I think your audience will find interesting is this question of what makes one piece of cannabis different from another. If you go into the dispensary or you go online to ease and you try to purchase something, and what are you told about your options? I mean, you have the, the, the format. Is it a concentrate, a flower, or a pre-roll? But beyond that, what are your choices? You're given a strain name, and you're told an amount of THC, and sometimes an amount of CBD. And that's about it. So, well, or the indica sativa or hybrid. Indica, or Those called, are the three big things that, that people look that, at when they're brand new. That's that's right. And and, and is it an indica, a sativa, or a hybrid? And and what are those? And so the question was, and it's really, um, it turns out to be a very deep question: is what makes one of these strains different from another strain? What does it mean to be a Jack Herrera? What does it mean to be a Blue Dream? What does it mean to be a Ringo's Gift, and so forth? And that turns out to be a, a question with no clear answer. There are a lot of folks who believe, sort of genetic, you know, purists, a lot of people who believe that the strain is some indication of the seeds, that if you have, or that, that what makes it a blue dream is that you, you grew it from blue dream seeds. What makes it a northern lights is you grew it from northern lights seeds. And that's something that I think is wrong. Well, okay. So we're talking to newbies here. So let's, and oh, okay. yeah, we're talking to newbies and you're talking to me as someone who is a bit of a pot nerd. I've been doing this for a really long time, but let's break, when we talk about this, let's break it down in, into layman's terms. Sure. So 
Yes. So we all, so somebody who goes in to buy Blue Dream in San Diego thinks they can go into into a dispensary in San Francisco and get that same Blue Dream. Right. You're telling me that that's ne- not necessarily what's really happening. Well, well, well the, the question that I'm asking is what makes it a Blue Dream? What is it? In the what is it in the world that makes this flower the flower that we call Blue Dream, and that flower not the flower that we call Blue Dream? What aspect of that flower is the reason for giving it the name? I mean, I have my last name because of who my parents are. Mm-hmm. I inherited their last name. So, is the name of the strain is that like something that the the flower inherits from its parents? Where if the seed is a Blue Dream seed, the flower is going to be a Blue Dream flower. And that turns out to be what most people believe, that when you are selecting a strain, that you're picking from a menu of genetics, Mm -hmm. that you're selecting a set of genetics. Right. And so, well, that's part of the belief. And I think that belief turns out to be wrong and wrong in in quite a few ways. Well, do you want to explain that to me? Because for me, I'm like, you know... It's more than just the sharing of the name because I have, you know, I have a step parent. So I know that, you know, a name isn't necessarily a thing. To me, it was the genetics. It's the DNA that makes it different. So, so what we want to know today is how do you go about choosing the right strain for you? That's what we're hoping you can help mm. us with today. Are you going to be able to that's do that, a, Amos? That's a really good question. Um, the, the, the first part of the answer to that, and yeah, that is something I can help you with. The first part of the answer to that is that you have to look beyond that strain name. One of the things that I found out in doing my research is that the strain name turns out not to tell you very much about what actually is going to be in that cannabis. If you're going to the store and to the dispensary and you're buying cannabis, you're probably buying it. Unless you're doing, unless you're like me and you're doing research, you're probably buying it because you want to feel a certain way. Maybe you read a Leafly review and you want to get something like what was in the Leafly review, or your friends had something and you want to get something like what your friend had. Well, if if all of those things, those experiences, if those come from the chemistry of the plant, from the mixture of, of what's in the plant, then a a label for cannabis, a name for a type of cannabis, has to be something that gives you some, tells you something about chemistry, about what chemistry you should expect to get from the plant. And one of the things that I discovered in looking into this and in, de- in researching this is that it turns out that when you go to the dispensary and you get you buy Blue Dream or Jack Herrera or what have you, that that name really doesn't tell you very much at all. There are, for the, for the popular strain names, the Blue Dreams, Jack Careers, and so forth, so the Girl Scout Cookies of the world, there are hundreds of different varieties sold by different people, all under the same name. And in fact, something that we hear about, uh, it happens reasonably often, a grower will make something. They will have intended to produce a strain under one name. They will find that the market for that strain is poor when their harvest is done. But, so they don't want to just lose the value of this flower. So they say, you know what? Let's, you know, let's call that flower purple tie. Let's just change it to the name of something that's selling this month. And so those strain names, it turns out, don't tell you very much at all about what is actually in the cannabis that you're buying. So do you know that that really happens, that people take a strain that they they grew as Blue Dream and then decided to just call it something else? There is no cannabis certification authority 
There is <laughs> there's no government organization to say this is good bud and this is bad bud or this this really is Girl Scout cookies. Um, you know that is Snoop's dream. That's not Snoop's dream. There's nobody who does that. And and this was what I was sort of getting to before, which is that people sort of believe. You know what does it even mean? Like in a like what does it even mean to be a blue dream? Does it mean that it came from a seed? Does it mean that it has a certain chemistry? What does that even, you know, if somebody grew what they intended to be purple tie and they decide to sell it as blue dream, who's to, who's to say that they're wrong? Yes. So. I mean, like in what sense, if it's clearly cannabis, it will get you high. In what sense is it not blue dream? Because it didn't come from a blue dream parent. Hey, so, so I feel like you've what, eaten mushrooms before you came in here. <laughs> I, 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 I did not, but this is how. Yeah, th this is what math people are like when we're not doing math. This is this is what we get into. <laughs> um, what does it mean to be a blue tree? Like, I'm like, I don't know, but I'm a unicorn. I can tell you what, what that feels like. What the the but the the, the 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 question that you asked is, how, what should you go about looking for and picking out a strain name? And the first thing, the key, what was it, the first thing that you should think about when you're thinking about strain names is. Is this a strain name that's very common around the country, or is this a strain name that really is a strain that's only produced by one producer or a small number of producers? Because if it's produced by a small number of producers, if it's a name that's rare, if it's a name that's not common, if it's a name that that producer created just for their product, that's an advantage. Because that means that if you go and buy that then, and you buy it tomorrow, and you buy it six months from now, there's a much stronger chance that what you're going to get is going to be the same thing and it's going to give you the same experience when you uh, when you go back and you buy it again. If you just go by the strain name and it's a popular strain name, you don't know what you're going to get. So one of the things to look for is, you know, the first step in picking out cannabis is to figure out what you like. But the way that you should organize that cannabis, you should focus on things or people would do well to focus on things where they can be sure that if they buy the, something under the same name again, that they're going to get the same thing. Well, and I think that goes back to what I was talking about last week with my second and third gen cannabis farmers from Humboldt County is this idea that, you know, they grow a smaller number of plants and there's much more care put into each plant and they have their yes. own proprietary strains. And so you're going to get more consistency in the product well, versus... That, yeah, I, th I think that's true. Um, for, for the folks who are growing outdoors, I don't know... You, you know, If the folks who are growing outdoors, that cannabis is sort of like wine, where part of the fun of wine is that you don't quite know exactly what you're going to get when you open the bottle. It's always going right. to be a little bit different. Yeah. And that's part of the uh, what's nice about the outdoor grows. Um, so, I, you know, the, the I don't want to overrate how consistent it's going to be, but it's going to be more consistent than if you just went uh, by name. I mean, sure. but it's, it's, you know, I talked to, I went on vacation in, in the Philippines. I went scuba diving uh, back in, in October and, uh, of course, ran into somebody who was an old school grower from Humboldt County in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And so we started, we're sitting at the bar and we're talking about, you know, he's telling me about cannabis in the old days and I'm telling him about uh, the work that I do. And one of the things that I was working on then was what's the difference between an indica and a sativa and a hybrid? And I, and I just asked him, I said, look, you were growing this stuff back then. What, what's, the di what's the difference between an indica and a sativa and a hybrid? Is it the 
the amount of this chemical or the amount of that chemical? And his answer was, well, the indicas grow high and the sativas grow short. And that's and and that was well so much for and people now people today go in and they say an indica will make me relax or an indica will give me energy I forget what it, what what they're telling people these days and the truth is that that all the real difference between what's an indica and what's a sativa is how high the you know the, the shape of the plant the yeah a, it's not the chemistry a sativa is you know got the thinner wispier leaves and and indicas the bushier shorter bushier plant and they grow in different climates so if if you buy some indica se- seeds and you grow them and you cut them before they got fully mature did you make a sativa because it was short no that this, but but you take this my way is this indica sativa it's it's not well, relevant no, I, to anything well it's it's relevant to the climate and its history yes. of where it's grown that's it's, right. that's what that is all about However, in our now buying culture, there's the indica is in the couch. It's more of a body high. Sativa is more of a heady high. And so those are the things, those are the misnomers (laughs) that I want (laughs) us to discuss today and help people make a better decision. So let's dive into that. So when we know that that's not necessarily relevant, what's our next move? Well, the next move is the next move if you're in the store and you're trying to figure out what you want to buy, the first thing that you want to think about is THC and CBD. And I'm sure anyone listening knows what THC is, and I'm sure most people know what CBD is, although you've probably heard lots of myths about CBD. And the first basic choice that you have is how much THC and how much CBD do you want? Um, My advice to people is do not try and get the 30% THC. Um, there's a limit to how high you can get and a limit to how high you want to be. Most people are, uh, most people in my experience are happiest if they have something that's balanced, that has approximately equal amounts of THC and CBD, uh, maybe 10, 15% each would be perfect. Um, but that's your, your basic categorization is, do I want something that's lots of THC and no CBD, something with THC and CBD together, or something with just CBD? You're probably going to be happiest with the two of them together. Uh, or with THC. Beyond that, what are the different categories? It turns out, and we can get into this later on, that this indica-sativa hybrid thing doesn't really tell you very much about what's in chemically in, uh, in the plant. And most folks are not going to spend the time to try and figure out what each of those chemicals means. And so how do you decide? And this may sound simplistic, but I think the way you pick your cannabis is essentially the way you pick your wine. You smell it, you try it, and you find out what you like by experimentation. And let me stop you too, because obviously we can smell it in the stores. We cannot taste it. So what I do and what I recommend people to do is when they go in, buy one gram of two or three different kinds. That's a fantastic idea. So that you can take them home and do your own little experiments. And then when you come back, then you can buy a larger amount of the one that you really liked. Right. I think that's a terrific idea. Um, But really, I mean, if if you're starting out and you don't want to, before you know about the chemistry, you really don't have a choice except to pick by smell. Anything, there's cannabinoid content, THC and CBD, and then they're selecting by by smell. And those are really only your options or your right your only so the options. terpenes and the cannabinoid content yes and now that that brings us to the subject of those terpenes 
Now, when we were sort of preparing for this and discussing for this, you it wasn't I wasn't sure how much you wanted to talk about the terpenes and how much you didn't want to talk about the terpenes. Oh no, we I may disagree with some of the things you say, but I definitely want to talk about them. So, do fo do folks in your audience know what terpenes are? Yes, they do. Okay. They know that they are the essential oils of the plants, yes. and in case we have any newbies, now you know what they, a terpene is. They, they, are the, <laughs> they are the essential oils of the plant, and what that means, uh, every plant, every organism produces oils. Uh, every different organism, different species produces a different kinds of oils. And because humans evolved to look for plants and eat plants and chew on plants, human beings respond to the different oils in plants in different ways. And that's why we have things like we can smell plants and smell plants and plants smell different from each other. Mm -hmm. So terpenes are the essential oils, the particular set of oils that are, the, the set of oils that are particular to the cannabis plant and that give it its smell um, and the smell that we respond to. And those same terpenes are found in common fruits and vegetables and grasses and things Absol like that. Absolutely. Almost all of them. Um, you know, it's interesting. One of the, right now in Nevada, um, there in, in the Nevada cannabis community, there's a widespread belief that if you smoke cannabis that's high in myrcene, which is one of the terpenes, that the myrcene will get you higher, that you'll get higher with more myrcene. And the other place that you can get lots and lots of myrcene is in mangoes. So people are eating lots of mangoes when they smoke pot because they think it's going to get them higher. Well, I've heard that it amplifies your experience. Yeah, it, 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 people express it in lots of different ways. Um, there are lots of different theories of for each of these terpenes. There are lots of different theories of them. People have a theory that limonene makes you paranoid, or it makes you energetic, or it makes you relaxed. Pinene and, can make me feel a little. A little geeked out. I can it, get a little anxious. Yeah, the, the, and this is one of the things that I was looking into. So we, you have all of these terpenes in the cannabis plant. There are more than 100 terpenes that are found in some trace amounts. There are 15 or 20 or so that are there in you know, more than trace amounts that are pretty common. And what do any of them do? Do they do anything? Do they have? Do they do anything but smell? Everybody seems to have a different belief about what these terpenes do separately, and about what they do together, and about which ones are good or which ones are bad, or ones that you should take for particular conditions or not. And so I wanted to try and understand where those beliefs came from, and which of those beliefs turn out to be true, and which of those beliefs turn out not to be true. Which ones have evidence? Which ones don't? And Again, this connects back to the issue of strain, because if what makes one of these strains different from another is the chemical composition of it in terms of its terpenes, then can we characterize any of these strains in terms of their terpene content? Can we say that taking strain X is going to be good for you if you have this condition or you want that experience? Can we not say things like that? So, the, And then this is the subject of a lot of what I've been working on for the past year. So... You're, from what I remember, you basically were saying these terpene profiles in these cannabis flowers don't do that much. And I don't think it... Well, they, they don't. Let me be... I want to be very careful and precise about what I say. Yes, because I disagreed with that. So please do. And, and we're going to conduct an experiment today. Okay. Because I've brought this... Bud with me. Okay. And a this mystery bud, bud. This mystery bud, we're going to conduct a double blind test because this mystery bud 
it's one that I purchased because, particularly because, it has a very unique and rare terpene profile. Okay. And so I've smoked it before, and I love it. Okay. I'm not. I'm not going to try and push some crap on you. This is. I, I promise you, this is something I've tried and shared <laughs> with people, and everybody enjoyed greatly. But we will, we'll see which of the because I know which terpenes are in this. We'll see which of the the expected reactions you have to this, okay. um, and and then I'll tell you which terpenes were in it at the end. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or is that what? Do you want to do that right now while you're still talking to me? Well, why not? I mean, okay. I mean, <laughs> empty. It's one of the things I, I love about your studio space, um, which is that you have cannabis ingestion materials in literally every room. You have bowls in the bathroom. You have a bowl in the kitchen. You have a you know every everyone has a little kit with a little weed, a bowl, and a lighter next to it. Yes. Just in case, in and, case you're in the hallway and, and you just feel like smoking right now, you didn't want to smoke when you got up from the couch, but between the couch and the kitchen, you want to smoke. There it is, right there. Okay, in my defense. I have um, different friends that will come co-work with me. So I may have somebody sitting on the chaise lounge and I have a little setup over there. Somebody might be in the in the sitting area. I'm here. And, and plus, if I'm working in any of those places, I don't want to have to get up and move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I love about San Francisco is that everybody's – well, at least the you know the old San Francisco, everybody was entitled to have whatever lifestyle they wanted. <laughs> yes. That's and that's all more power to you. Okay. So, let me I'll smell the flower and then we'll grind it cuz then I'll be able to smell it better. That's a fantastic idea. And I'm curious what you're going to say about the smell. Yeah. Actually, I'll let you open it so me you get the too. full smell impact. Yeah, me too because I don't who knows if I'm even going to be good at this. At, at smoking pot? No. Oh, at, you do it professionally. At, I would think at, at this point, you, you, you really, I mean. Okay. Just taking the whole flower out. Little pungent, little pungent smelling to me in the beginning. Could be. It's a few, a little bit old at this point. Well, right? that wouldn't make it pungent for just being old. All right. I won't grind a bunch. It's a nice grinder. A little collection mechanism there at the bottom. Thank you. I Fair told enough. you, I am the world's greatest stoner. You should get, no, seriously, you should get like a superhero costume that says that. <laughs> you could have a Netflix show. <laughs> Maybe I will. Maybe it's in the works. Because everybody has a Netflix show now. <laughs> Can we cut another part out? No. Oh, damn. I was going to tell you a story that you would find hilarious, but now I can't. Okay. I'm getting out my... My terpenes chart. I definitely smell. Well, don't, don't do me. Well, I guess you can use the chart if you want. Well, yeah, because I mean, it's for me to be able to um, just ultimately recall 20, uh, you know, 20 terpenes is not gonna. Well, but it would kind of ruin the experiment if you know which terpenes are in it before you smoke it, though. Well, no, I, you, I thought you told me you wanted me to guess which terpenes are in it. Oh, no, no. I, oh. I want you to, I guess, was it terpenes are from your experience? I want you to smoke it and enjoy oh. it. And, and let's then, see if they have if if you experience the effects okay. that you would expect to experience from those terpenes. Okay. All right. Well, then we are putting it in the firefly. That way, we can really taste all of the terpenes. And this is going to be my first time using the firefly. I've I've always been a huge fan of the packs. I brought with me in case we had an opportunity to use it. But the because I really like the packs. I think it's a, a really nicely together product. Which when I was recommending the. Uh, the Firefly, and so this is my chance to give it a try. We'll do this first and your second. So the 
the thing about the Firefly can just, you know, it's not as fast as just loading a bowl or as fast as loading that, that packs of yours. But this is way easier to clean than yours is. That's a fancy tool you have there. Thank you. Were you a dentist? <laughs> no, I was not. But, you know, you have to have, got to tamp this down, create some little air pockets. It's kind of a, like I said. You're definitely selling the Firefly there. It's a, a touch of a hassle, but to me, it's worth it. It's a little engineering project to make sure you've got the, you know, an equal density across the axis. There you go. And then it's um, magnetized on the top. We hold this down. It'll flash three times and then slow, deep yoga breath. It tastes nice. It's ready to go. Yeah. And then the other thing too about the Firefly is that you can set the temp and you set the vape pattern on your on an app. Oh, okay. So you can, you know, you don't blow out as much vapor. But um, but you're still getting a full hit. Yeah, that was my experience with the Firefly, was that I would breathe in and then breathe out, and I wouldn't see any vapor, and I would feel like it wasn't working. But if I use my Juul as well while I'm here? Sure. But use, wait, for cannabis or tobacco? Well, Ooh. nicotine. There's no actual tobacco in it. There's just pure sure. nicotine. You yeah. can pick the flavor, though. I brought creme brulee and mango. I have a problem with Juul. I, I yeah, think you have a problem with those Juul people. Those they do. Juul people with their, with their flavored nicotine. The, well, because I, I have little tweens and teens in my life that are now addicted to nicotine. What, tweens? How are they getting it? Well, one of them stole their mom's credit card and bought a whole case of them and sold them at school. <laughs> well, that's just bad parenting. No, that is not bad. Stole the mom's hey, credit card. And out of her purse while she's sleeping. That, <laughs> that's hilarious. I mean, I, 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 I <laughs> it wasn't hilarious when a bill for like a thousand dollars showed up for. I, I certainly take the point. I don't feel that it's fair to blame the jewel people when a child steals their mother's credit card and decides to run an illegal black market nicotine smuggling operation out of their middle school. That's not the fault of the jewel so people. So you don't think that having they all have the little colored. Yes. Swirls on them and they're all like bubble gum or passion fruit. They, or... they, they have none of those flavors. What? They have, I'm they, just they have saying, mango and creme brulee and cucumber. They have more than that. I know they have more than those three flavors. They, they do, but those are the only flavors that aren't gross. The other I'm, flavors are disgusting. I'm just saying. And you can't even buy. You create the, those flavors and you make it super easy and... And you get, they're advertising on television. Do you know how? How I, do they get to advertise on do, television? Do you, do you know what I have to go through to get one of these? I don't care. I have to, <laughs> I, you can't buy these in a store. You ha The only way you can buy them is online. Yes. And when you buy it online, you have to send them a, a picture of your ID. And before they ship it out, they call you on the phone to ask you, are you really over 18? And listen to your this voice. This is new. This is the last six months. Yes, this is this very is, new. This is what they've done. And they and then right before they deliver, they call you again. Is it really you? We swear to God, you swear to God it's you and you're over 18? And I think on the first delivery, it's signature required because they have to check and make sure that you're of age. Well, good. But they make it extremely good. difficult to, to go and buy these things. Good, they should because they've got teens all over the country raging with nicotine withdrawals right now. Really? Yes. This is a very, very real problem. I, I well, you're the second person this week who said that to me, and so I'm, I'm I, I I will take it seriously. I don't have kids, and so I, and I don't really spend time around kids, and so I don't worry too much about you know what kids are smoking. But um, 
I, I take your point. Well, and I have I'm a lot gonna, of I'm going to enjoy mine though, right? You can, you can enjoy it all day long, but I have a lot of littles and I have a lot of concerned parents in my life. And so I'm not cool with it. Um, this is good. I feel light and alert. So mm. my... You do feel light and alert. I always feel more light and alert whenever I smoke from a firefly versus burning it. You know, well, vaping the sucks. flower yeah. bur- versus burning it. Yeah. I'm going to keep going. Go for it. And you can tell that you're still getting some, even though you may not see a lot mm. of vapor, because you'll feel that Thank you. kind of pinch in the back of your... Back of your throat, I guess. I didn't look. I just... (laughs) Okay. So let's see here. How are you feeling right now? Well, now you have nicotine in your system too. So you've kind of effed up your own experiment. Well, no, I I knew what was going to happen. So... (laughs) Well, let's let we'll let time go on. We'll do you know, and we'll we'll catch up when we're more high, and it's later on. We'll catch up and we'll see which things um, turned out to be in there. Um, but yeah, so there's, there are lots of different beliefs about what these chemicals do. You know, the one that you mentioned is uh, indica is a body high and sativa is a, a head high, or, the, or vice versa. One of them. No, that's right. Indica body, sativa more. And it, it turns out that in terms of the chemistry, that indica and sativa are essentially indistinguishable. The only difference between them that's consistent at all, well, the closest thing there is to a distinction between them is that there's one terpene that's called terpinaline. And terpinaline is a little bit more common in sativas than in indicas, than it is in indicas. It doesn't mean there's more uh, terpinaline in a sativa than an indica. It means each time you buy cannabis, you roll the dice, will it have terpinaline or not? And the chance in indica might be 30% and the chance in sativa might be, you know, 35%. And that's really the only difference between them. So is that the terpene then that gives you that anxious feeling? Um, I haven't heard that theory of terpinaline. Well, I'm just asking because, you know, if the differences are virtually indistinguishable, my anecdotal evidence from years and years and years and years is that if I smoke something that is predominantly sativa, I get a racy heart and I get kind of anxious. Would well, you have any of those feelings now? Because we'll find out later at the end whether there was uh, terpinaline in this. Um, I don't feel I don't feel anxious. I do feel my heart. I do, you know, like you feel like you have a little bit more energy, but you don't um, have the anxiety effect. I feel more alert. Like the lights feel brighter. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, I feel a little bit of pressure in my chest, but not like my anxiousness that I normally get. And like I said, I don't know that's, I don't, you know. Well, we'll, we'll find out a little bit later on whether or not there was terpinaline in this. Yeah, curious. But that's one of the ones that people have a a lot of beliefs about is terpinaline. Another one that people I don't, well, but what are the, um, do you, can you spout off the properties of terpinaline? If you can, I'll look them up. You mean, you mean like it's molecular weight? No. No, no. You no, mean, no, no, mean, no. mean like it's experience properties? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's experience properties. There, there are P. Pe- I want to be careful here because the distinguish between what we know and what we don't. There are people that believe that terpinaline gives you more energy. And if you get a, um, a 
a pre-made vape. There, there are vapes now that are marketed based on the experience. Vapes for working, vapes for lovemaking, vapes for relaxation. If you get one that's marketed for working, that says it's that's marketed to promote energy, that's going to be a vape that's likely to have high amounts of terpenaline in it. Okay. And so terpenaline has the aroma of lilac, so a little sweetness to it, I'm assuming. And it says the benefits, it's antibacterial, antiseptic, antifungal, and... It, it's, it may do those things for the plant. It's unlikely to be antibacterial, antifungal, or antiseptic for us. But certainly Wouldn't if you Wouldn't it just depend on how you're using it? Because if someone well, includes terpenaline in something that you are consuming, wouldn't you, wouldn't you experience those? No. You want no, you I mean, wouldn't you, you you antiseptic or antibacterial or antifungal effects? No, I mean you don't you don't have uh, if the, those are in top if that's in a the, topical that's not going to help. It's if that's in a topical, it is impossible in theory that putting terpenaline in a topical might help you. I guess. Um, however, the amounts of terpenaline that are in those topicals are going to be so small that they're unlikely to have any detectable effect. And frankly, if somebody was putting enough terpenaline into a topical that it was capable of having any detectable effect, I would then start to ask serious questions about the safety impact of actually putting that much terpenaline in contact with human skin. So that's not, that, so that's not how a lot of people are doing this, though. Right. They're taking five and six different terpenes that have antibacterial qualities and they are combining those with the CBD and some carrier oils and other things that also have skin benefiting I, pain relieving effects and together those things in I, I would find it very unlikely that you would get a detectable antiseptic or antifungal effect from doing that again, because of the amounts, and I can talk about that in a second. But also, if what you want is an antiseptic and an antifungal, you don't need cannabis-based products to do that. Well, yeah, I, okay, you know? you're, don't, be, don't be such a scientist for a minute. We're just okay. having a broad I, strokes conversation. I'm not saying right, right, right. we're trying to find a, an antiseptic. Well, no, that, like, it, that's not what but I'm it, saying. It, but I, I understand, but I'm, what, what I'm saying is... It, so. Trying to, to, there are a lot of products that are being marketed in that way. You have a topical, there are a lot of products that are being marketed in that way. It's something else, a topical cream, a mint, or something else, and they'll add something from cannabis to it, and they'll claim that it has some additional effect because it has that little bit of the cannabis in it. Maybe a terpene, it may be CBD, and so forth. And a lot of that, I'll, I'll give you some examples. I think the best way to do this is with some examples. One of the claims that's made is that one of the terpenes called caryophylline, beta-caryophylline, has a pain relief effect. And so you'll see products marketed with, you know, caryophylline from cannabis. It's a, as a, as a, you know, as some kind of pain reliever. So if you put caryophylline, cannabis with caryophylline into a topical and you rub it on your body, is it going to give you a pain relief effect? And they can, those people can truthfully say, that beta-caryophylline does, in fact, have a pain relief effect. However, where that belief comes from is a study that was conducted about a decade ago. It was a very well-done study. And what they found was that mice that were given caryophylline had decreased pain reactions compared to painful stimulus compared to mice that didn't have beta-caryophylline. 
The amount of caryophylline that they were giving those mice, however, was one gram of caryophylline per kilogram of mouse. By comparison for a human being, for somebody of my size, for somebody of your size, that's the equivalent of injecting like a, a pint jar of pure terpenaline or, you know, of pure caryophylline, of, yeah, of pure caryophylline directly into your bloodstream. If you injected that much beta caryophylline directly into your bloodstream, I don't think you'd be alive. So you, it might very well have a pain relief effect. So is caryophylline a pain reliever? <laughs> is caryophylline a pain reliever? It's absolutely a pain reliever. Is it a pain reliever in dosages that are present in cannabis or in a cannabis topical? Not by tens of thousands of what it would have to be. Got it. So, and, and that's a lot of what's going on here in the marketing of sort of cannabis derivative products. Um, one of the beliefs, you know, we talked a little bit about mercy and that it's supposed to give you a deeper high, that it's supposed to give you, uh, make you more high and so forth. One of the beliefs that's very common about mercine is that uh, it causes people to couch lock. And this is part of that whole indica sativa hybrid thing, that indicas are supposed to have more mercine in them and the mercine is supposed to couch lock you. Where that belief comes from is a study that was conducted in Brazil in the 1990s. They took some mice and they gave the mice barbiturates, phenobarbital, powerful, powerful drug. Half the mice also got mercine. And the mice who got the mercine slept for longer than the mice who didn't get the mercine. And based on that study, and the amount they were giving them, by the way, was 500 milligrams of mercine per kilogram of mouse. It's extraordinary amount of, of, of any substance. But based on that study alone, people now believe that mercine and indicas cause, mercine causes couch lock, that indicas cause couch lock, that mercine will get you higher and so forth. And well, so you that's just a dosage issue. Well, yeah. That's what a, that thing is. Well, it's a dosage issue and it's a, um, does it, you know, is it really going to do this issue? What's happening is that you have scientific studies that were conducted at one dosage level in one set of circumstances on mice or, in, or on plants or what have you. And people will take those studies and extrapolate that if it worked at 500 kilograms for the mouse, then it will probably work if there's a tiny drop of it in my ointment. And it doesn't work that way. That's not how medicine or science works. Right. So what's happening is these terpenes probably do have some effects, and I can get into that, but they probably don't have the effects that they're being marketed as having. Um, terpenes in uh, ointments, it, it, it's the amounts are so small. Um, the amounts of these terpenes that are present in cannabis are so, are so small that to expect it to have an antiseptic or an antibiotic effect in an ointment, it's, it seems, you know, maybe there's a paper out there. Um, it just strikes, strikes me as a stretch. Okay. So here's what I have to say about all of that. We get great benefits from cannabis by microdosing it. Yes, we do. Using it in very small amounts consistently. Yes. So- I believe that the microdosing that I do with my cannabis and the trace amounts of the terpenes that are there, the other trace cannabinoids that are there, the little bit of CBG or CBC or THCV or whatever those things are, I believe in that small amount that they do help. They don't hurt. They're probably, they certainly don't hurt. They're, they're not going to hurt. That's true. So this whole conversation is really splitting hairs. But you're a scientist, and that's well, what you get paid to do. Well, it's, uh, I don't think it's splitting hairs to say 
to talk about the difference between something, whether ingesting something is going to have an effect or it's not. The effect that you're getting from microdosing is most likely the effect of the THC and the CBD. In certainly, if you're microdosing um, about by vaping or burning plant, burning the plant. It's unlikely those terpenes are even getting into your system. Well, so but it, if you're so consuming it in a way like this, where the air that is going and filtered through it starts at room temperature and goes all the way up, so each terpene is burning at its boiling point. So it's the, it's the difference between something having an effect or not having an effect, and I don't think that's splitting a hair. I think it's the difference between saying something about a cannabis product that's truthful and saying something about a cannabis product that's not truthful. And so some of the marketing of these products in terms of that this terpene or that terpene is going to treat your condition um, or is going to cause you to have this effect or that effect, many of those claims are unfounded. Um, no, I, 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 I agree I, I, that there is a lot of marketing that's a, being done that's unfounded. And, I will agree with that. And there are certainly, and I, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to harp on it too much because it does seem to me that these terpenes do have effects, but they don't have quite the effects that the market is currently telling people they have. And the principal effect that they do have is an effect on mood. We respond emotionally to smells. And that response, that emotional response, that biological response to smell is a real response. It exists in nature. It's there for a reason. It evolved in us. And it can be triggered by terpenes, even in the small amounts that they're present in cannabis. That's not the same as expecting a plant derivative to have a medically detectable effect. I would not use a terpene, uh, you know, a cannabis-derived terpene as an antiseptic or an antibiotic, and I would not claim... Well, I wouldn't well, well, either. Well, 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 wait a second. But, and, and I wouldn't think that having that in there would give any product an antibiotic or antiseptic advantage. It wouldn't. But just like you might burn incense because it improved your mood... You can choose a cannabis strain with a particular smell, and that smell will affect your mood, and you can select in that way, and that's real. So it's not that the terpenes don't do anything, and it's not that they're meaningless, but trying to ascribe particular effects on them is, that I think is mostly based on falsehood. Focusing on how does it make me feel, what mood does it put me in, is this relax me, does it make me less relaxed, and not worrying too much about the kind of medical claims that are made about it. That, to me, is the way that people should be trying to buy cannabis. Well, and the other thing that, to me, goes along with that is it's not just mood. You know, it affects my sleep. It affects mm. my appetite. It affects my autoimmune system. And so it beyond smell, I mean, there are strains that I smoke and I'm like, Damn it, Joanna, you were not supposed to buy this again. You want to eat everything in the refrigerator. Girl Scout cookies. That's a, that's a thing. I No, I don't even, I just, I get stuff from farmers. I don't know it. <laughs> but Girl Scout cookies, no, and, I don't really have that one. But and, and by the way, I will give it away now because I don't want to, again, I don't want to be too harping too much on the, on the whole terpene thing. What's interesting about this bud, this is bud that's equally balanced between THC and CBD. And it has quite significant amounts of terpinolene in it. And that's rare. You don't usually see. It's, it's the only one I've been able to find that was balanced between THC and CBD and had terpinolene in it. And it is having on you it did, the effect that you said that you felt. 
which is that it was you made you more alert. It gave you sort of more energy. Things seemed brighter. Mm-hmm. I got the exact same effect, and that is exactly the effect that we would expect from the trepanolin. Mm-hmm. Well, and the first time that I smoked a CBD, actually it was a two to one CBD to THC strain. It was at the Emerald Cup a couple of years ago, and I was really surprised at how alert, and it almost felt like I could see beyond my peripheral vision. Everything was brighter and more, I know, it seems I'm not crazy. trying to see if I can see behind my peripheral vision. Now. I mean, it just felt like I could see all, all of the things. <laughs> they were, uh, oh, I went to, because you mentioned the Emerald Cup, I went to an event called uh, the Cultivation Classic in Oregon mm-hmm. uh, about six months ago, which was one of these con- you know, best marijuana competitions. And at a dinner beforehand, there were people promoting and giving out terpene water. Now, I see that kind of stuff. That's silly to me. Well, we're all trying the terpene water. And, hmm, terpene water. Hmm, very nice terpene water. And then we sit down for the meal, which, of course, is is infused. So an hour or two later, we're completely high. We're waiting for the cars. We get into the cars. And the first thing we all say to each other is, it's terpene water. Kind of tastes like crap. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, basically what they did is they took the plant and they took everything that was awesome about the plant and they extracted it and they sold it to one guy <laughs> and they took everything left over and they put it in this bottled water <laughs> and selling it for $10 a pop. That's insane. It was seriously $10. I, I, I don't know. Oh, it was $10. Okay. They, they were giving it away and they were very nice people and they, they make lots of other products that are excellent, excellent products. So I don't want to be negative about them as, as individuals or as a company. But the idea of terpene water um, you know, I used to keep around the office these bottles of, of pure terpenes, um, which yeah, you know, I have a bunch of. Do you really? Ter- mm-hmm. what, what do you have? You you, you gonna whip those those guys out? Do you have fentanyl? Um, no, I don't. I have the basics. It was to do teach a terpenes class. I had done for Papa and Barkley at a few of the dispensaries here in San Francisco. They make an excellent topical, Papa and Barkley. They do. They really make an excellent. They topical. do a good job. That was the my first professional cannabis consumption. This is mine and my partner's. You'll have to check that out before you go. Well, thank you. You have to try. You have to put some on. I mean, if you have an acre of pain somewhere. Oh, thank um, you. That actually does smell good, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where I knew the things I wanted in it. Monica knew what she wanted in it. And then we have a, a good friend who is our massage therapist. We call her Dr. Dre. And so we would take the muscle rub and say, okay, give me a massage. Use this. Tell me. She'd be like, ah, it needs a little bit more glide. It's perfect to take with you to a massage. It's good stuff. Thank you for that. Anyway, so yes, the terpenes, the the terpene talk is real. It is real. Yes. The terpene talk is real. The terpenes really do do things. They don't do the things that people, the medical things that people claim them to do, but they do do things. And the way to find out what they are, trying to go in and trying to understand the chemistry and go through these terpene books that people have gotten. The thing is that there are hundreds and hundreds of these chemicals in cannabis. And the chemicals that are detectable in most terpene testing, there are 10 or 15 or so that are detectable. If you get a lab result, you'll see 10 or 15 on there. If you get one of those terpene books, it'll only talk about those 10 or 15. The truth is those 10 or 15 are not sufficient to account to the vari- for the variety of smells that we find in cannabis. There is blueberry-smelling cannabis, strawberry-smelling cannabis, There is peach smelling cannabis, and none of those 15 terpenes smell like any of those things. 
What there is in cannabis is not to worry too much about the, is there tapenolene or mercy and so forth, but to worry about that smell and the effect that that smell has and associate that smell with the feeling. Yeah. So I completely agree with that. One of the things that I learned early on is the right strain for you is the one that smells the best to you. Is the one that smells the best That's to you. That's the one your body is calling for so, saying like, this is the one I need. How, how do you How do you pick cannabis? Well, to be honest, I have a lot of farmer friends and I smoke what they give me, but I have, I find that as I use them, I learn which ones I use at which part of my day and, and which activities. So for example, um, Coyote Blue from Alpenglow Farms in Southern mm. Humboldt, that is my favorite workweed. And I'm able to dial in to whatever it is I'm working on and focus and just be in it and get it done. I mean, I'm a writer and a creator and I'm either trying to come up with an idea for something or I'm editing audio and I need to be super focused. That works really great for me. My friends at uh, Steep Hill Mendo, uh, they've got Bomb OG that at the end of my day... Is it, just, is it, is it the Bomb OG or is it just no, called Bomb OG? No, it's, That's what it's called. It's, it, no, it's SFV OG. I mean, okay. they, they, they do a classic strain. I say it's Bomb OG because it's so well-grown and it's beautiful flower and it's potent and it works well and it's a great way for me to, you know, wind down in the afternoons. And actually, and I really love huckleberries from Huckleberry Hill Farms in Southern Humboldt. I just had them in the studio and they brought me a nice big jar of it. So I don't- That's one of the nice things about being in the cannabis industry is all the free cannabis. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because those taxes piss me off. <laughs> you don't you don't still get the discount if you have a medical card? I do. I, I, I keep my medical card and I always will. So yes, you you don't pay one of those taxes if you have a medical card. I think you pay the state, but not the local or something like that. I never never understood how it works. They change the rules every six months. You know, that's something actually that's, that's really interesting is how the cannabis in Northern California changed when the rules changed in July. Did you notice that there was a, a, a total shift in, or a significant shift in what was available on the market? They all had to redo their packaging. They had to redo their packaging, and there were all sorts of changes that went into effect with the with pesticides, with what what, what could be in, in an extract, with what kind of testing was required for extracts. What I noticed in the market between before and after that regulation change, the amount of THC that was present in flour on average before that change was much higher than the amount of THC that's present on average afterwards. You know, I would go into a to urban farm, and I would see you know, things advertised at 25 to 30% before, and after, now it's 15 to 25%. And and you can still get that higher stuff, pun intended, but the big reason is that's not the pull anymore. People don't want a 28% THC strain on the the average consumer, the average well, consumer the, the, does the average, not. The average consumer shouldn't want that. But I'm not, I don't know that it was a change in market demand that, that caused this change. What I suspect is happening is one of two things, that either the new pesticide rules made it harder to grow cannabis that was that high in THC, or the changed rules for laboratories meant more accurate, accurate laboratory tests. And the truth is the THC was the same all along. It didn't change. 
It's just that it's being more accurately, accurately reported now. It's probably a little bit of both, but I still hear so many horror stories about these labs not being able to provide consistent results. A consistent results how? In that you can take... A, say you have an edibles company and you take a chocolate in to get tested mm. and then you take another piece of chocolate from that exact same batch the next day and you're going to get a totally different reading on it. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, there, there are some issues there and there are a couple of issues there. I mean, there's one issue with the plant where if you take different parts of the plant, you'll get different readings, but that's because there's different chemicals in different parts of the plant. Mm-hmm. And you have a plant that, you know, they tested one bud, but your bud is different it's not necessarily going to have the same chemistry. There's a different issue with the edibles, which is that many of the laboratories have trouble with identifying terpenes and cannabinoids in foodstuffs. It turns out that testing for these things is a tricky process, and they need to develop a scientific, a chemical process for breaking down and diluting what they're given into a form that they can then apply their their machines to. And it turns out that that's quite difficult um, with foods, and most of the laboratories are not able to do it effectively. Yeah. So that kind of variance, um, that kind of variance with edibles is extremely common. Okay. So we need to wrap up, and I don't want people to leave this conversation today being completely frustrated, like they did not make buying cannabis easier for me. I feel feel like we went around in a couple of odd directions. Yeah. Yeah, And I knew we would after talking to you the first time. I knew this conversation would be a little bit disjointed because we'll go off on tangents. So the key things that we think people need to know when they're purchasing cannabis, making sure that they have some sort of a balance of THC and CBD. This is for people that want to be functionally high. If you want to get blasted, do whatever you want to do. We're talking about people that are utilizing cannabis for wellness. So some balance in your THC and CBD, finding a strain that smells good and and gets your body excited. And remember the smell. Remember to associate. Remember how you felt and remember how the smell made you felt. And that's how you can select. And try and prefer small producers who are producing strains that are unique to them. Awesome. And I made a dosage tracker that I think is really important, especially for people when they are first experimenting with strains, to write down what it was, how many puffs you took of it, when it was, how it made you feel, you know, like, and then recording the things like it gave me dry mouth or my eyes got super bloodshot. Writing all those things down also helps you pick out those nuances so that you can say, oh, I definitely can't smoke that one before I go into the office. (laughs) (laughs) Or this is definitely a great one for bedtime or whatever. And and, and the one thing to encourage everybody to do, you know, a lot of, most people are still, are going into the dispensary and saying, I want as much THC as I can. Give me lots of THC. The, The one thing that I think we can all agree on is that people are much happier with moderate amounts of THC and some CBD in there as well. Yeah. And strains that are balanced between THC and CBD. I concur. And I don't think the people that listen to this show or the, I want more THC, more bang for my buck. Yeah. I don't think we're that kind. So I think that's good advice. That's, there's some key points that we can walk away with and feel good about. But if people do want to check out this really interesting project that you worked on and this thing that you built, I'm going to um, include some information about you and links in the show notes at casuallybaked.com. It's less of a thing for newbies and more for somebody who wants to more, be more a for pot- cannabis nerds. Cannabis yeah. nerds, yeah. <laughs> People who want to really dive in and get get 
really deep into the details. There you go. You want to get in the weeds on weed. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with me today. Are we still on? Well, I'm about to. We're about to be off. Well, thank you I for wanna... having me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you sign off the show. It's just because there's no real separation between the show and the rest of uh, and sort of you know your your life just sort of flows into the show and flows out of the show. So I'm not sure where one begins and one ends. There's yeah. no breaking point. There's no timer. There's no you know now for a commercial. No, that's why it's called casually baked. We just fly by the because seat it's of just my casual. Pants. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, you heard right. The data scientist told us to follow our nose when choosing the cannabis strains that are right for us. After crunching thousands of pieces of strain data points, the takeaway is that the cannabis plant is so complex and nuanced that to truly get it right, we must lean on our own intuition. I believe that to be true with most aspects of life. To me, this conversation just goes to show the importance of mindful consumption. Read labels, be choosy, and then pay attention to your symptoms pre- and post-consumption. I know you're as busy as a one-legged man in an ass-kicking competition, but don't let that be an excuse to set the cruise control on your life. If you make the effort to be mindful— Cannabis can be an excellent co-pilot to help you navigate the aches, pains, and stresses of adulting. We destigmatize the cannabis culture by sharing personal stories and practical knowledge. If you found this episode helpful, I hope you'll share it with a friend or family member. Be sure to submit your can of curious question at casuallybaked.com. Or reach out on social. I'm at Casually Baked. If you have questions for the cannabis data scientist, you can reach out to Amos on social. He is at Amos Elberg. That's A-M-O-S-E-L-B-E-R-G. Check out the podcast 74 show notes at casuallybaked.com to explore his research. If you're feeling love, I hope you'll give some back. Be sure to rate or review Casually Baked the Podcast on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. Will Llewellyn is editing the video version of the podcast, now available on YouTube and channel 203 on Cannabis Club TV. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. 
My co-host Corey Yelland is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.